This is exactly right. favorite murder the thanksgiving episode <laughs> oh right it's thanksgiving for y'all today it's thanksgiving listening. day episode how is it not having to see your family this year how is zooming with the fam <laughs> ideal the way it should always be done the best that's karen kilgara oh that's georgia hardstark hi we're uh, here yeah oh so you know in this in the mini this episode this week i asked about um, mid-century modern dollhouses. Yes. Uh, and is there like a hashtag? And a bunch of people tagged me in this really great one called Tiny House Calls, C-A-L-L-S. Um, and it's by Dr. Kwanda Roberts. And it's just beautiful interior design, mid-century modern, like cute style, our fucking style. But it's all mini. Look, can you see that? Whoa, that it's looks like, real. I know. That doesn't look small at all. It's all mini. Look at that. I want my house to look like that. Is this is this decorator slash designer making like they have a mid-century dollhouse that they're then filling with mid-century furniture? I or are they just got, making the furniture? I, I think they do the whole thing. I think I think you like design a room. So I don't Ooh. know if it's like an actual house, like dollhouse or if it's just room by room. But I follow I a lot of miniature makers and it's oh. I mean, it's fascinating. In same corner, reply corner, we can mm-hmm. say, um, last week I made a, I was actually going to have Steven cut it out when I talked about my newest candy obsession, which is sour sketty. Uh-huh. Um, I, I wrote it down in the middle of the night to be like, stop talking about candy. Like, stop, <laughs> stop pretending that's interesting. It's not. Yeah. Well, then I got some support on Twitter and I really want to thank, um, their name's Boodle on Twitter and their at is, Bailey Eschbach, like an impossible. I don't know if it's a name or if you're trying to sound drunk. Oh, I don't know what that if it's spy. a joke. Russian spy. <laughs> Whatever you are. Um, thank you, Boodle, because they wrote to me. I am also not super proud of my sour sketty needs. So I buy it in bulk. And then they showed a picture of a whole box Whoa. of sour sketty that they have sent to yes. their house, which I really respect. There it is. Haribo. Oh, you got to love Haribo. Come on. Shame dies in the light. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for being there with me in that. Oh, I'm reading a book that I really like um, that Oprah Oprah likes, too. So clearly it must be good. It must be good. And she and I must be best friends. It's not Hillbilly like Elegy, it is it? No, <laughs> no. But I really want to watch that because everyone keeps saying it's the worst movie they've ever anyone's ever seen, which makes yeah. me absolutely want to see it. I mean, sure. Right? Uh, my thing is people keep posting pictures of Amy Adams looking dumpy from that movie. Yeah, yeah. Every time I see it, I go, oh, that's a cute shirt. Every time I see it, I get really, oh, I feel no. supported and seen. And I'm yeah. like, yay, I like messy hair. Oh, it's oh. she's supposed to look bad. Oh, that's it's like, right. Finally, Amy Adams is like, likes my style. Oh, wait, she's supposed <laughs> oh. to be playing. Oh, okay. I guess it hasn't come into style yet. <laughs> Not, Not yet. brushing your hair. And no, wearing that's an the old 80s. Shirt. That's the 80s and 90s, and it hasn't come back yet. But you, you won't you come just back. Wait. I'll hold on. 
So I'm listening to this incredible book called Hidden Valley Road by Robert Kolker. And it's the true story of this family with 12 children and um, from the 19, like 45 on. And six of those children end up getting uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia. So at the time, of course, there's not a ton of research done on it. And they become kind of this like study of the science of schizophrenia, you know, based on their family. And so psychiatry and brain doctors and scientists study them to figure out the how and the why of and the what of schizophrenia and the diagnosis and what it means and how it can be treated. And it's just really fascinating. If you read the book, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, it's really similar where it goes between, you know, the family and what they're going through and their life. And then the next chapter is about the scientists and the study and the brain. And it's just, it's a really interesting read. And if you're fascinated by, you know, um, psychiatry, which I am, it's, it's such an incredible book. So that's uh, Hidden Valley Road by Robert Kolker. Um, that's great. Yeah, I love it. I highly recommend it. That sounds really good. I, um, well, I just binged The Crown, the fourth season of The Crown. I watched the first episode I've ever seen of it last night. Of The Crown? And now I want to start it on four? Thing. Yeah, because I wanted to see Lady Die on it. And then yeah. it's just Olivia Coleman, but I'm fucking really enjoying it. And I'm like, oh shit, I might have to go back and just start from the beginning. You really should because okay. it's just as good when Claire Foy is the queen. And oh. it is, it's really, I was surprised how much I liked it. Yeah. It's good. Okay. I might do that. I don't think Vince is interested though. So I'm on my it's, own. Oops. I'll say this. They, the, they're not, it's not just one of those kind of like, oh, it's a, a historical, you know, yeah. like drama series or whatever. They know how to make TV. The people yeah. that make this show are really good at making TV. So it's very compelling. Okay. You, you know, you learn and grow, but also it's just good. Good yeah. TV. I'm into the World War II history of it all. So that sounds super exciting. Yeah. For me. Okay. It's great. So you binged that. I binged it. There's a couple episodes near the, I didn't get, um, I think I got like six episodes in and then I fell asleep, which I think about all the time where I fall asleep and then I'm like, does my, is my brain still listening? And yeah. do, do I know what happened at the end of season four of The Crown? And I just, my oh. conscious brain doesn't know, but it's like in there somewhere. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh, I wonder if it works that way. Listen, um, dream doctors, fuck it, or anyone who has a dream diary dictionary. Uh, let us know, please. Yeah. What if I go and try to pitch the back half of season four of The Crown and people are like, this is word for word what they already made. As a podcast. No. I have this great idea. I can't do that. <laughs> um, okay. What else? Did you see, this is one of the better videos I've seen on, on Twitter all week in Utah. They made, because so many animals were being killed on Interstate 80, I think it is, no. they made an overpass <gasps> for animals, No, and then they put video cameras, <sighs> day and night uh, scope video cameras, and so you can watch the video. It's Oh, like, see who's crossing? Look who's crossing. Look who's is crossing. Is that what it's called? There's, <laughs> there's deer. <gasps> there's tons of bears. There's little squirrels and tiny mice. And like, and they, in the overpass, there's like, it's dirt. And then they put like logs and rocks oh. and na natural things so that they can hide if they're scared oh, or whatever. How do they know to cross? Is it like, they're just like, great. I'd rather do this than cross, run across the street or whatever. So they yeah, just know I guess. how to do it. 
I, I get yeah, maybe I mean, they like maybe they like heard them <laughs> heard bears <I> think, <laughs> but there's like a there's some kind of a really bossy deer crossing guard that's on one side like this way we're doing it this way now okay yeah. Claire with your clipboard get it <laughs> you're in charge Claire with I want to go down by the highway no 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 yeah. we're not doing that anymore I'm Claire, the bossy deer. (laughs) Yeah, you got to see that. It's really, that's worth a... I like how everything's feeling a little lighter and a little, you know, a little more positive these days. And then you see videos like that. You don't need them so much. You're just like, great. Yeah. And not like you're holding your phone, crying and staring, going, oh my God, there is good in this world. Just go watch for yourself. You'll see how Mm -hmm. goddamn great it is to watch a bear walking and then stop and stand on its hind legs and look around like... (laughs) Could this be trusted? Let me you know, I yes, this, it can be. Another reason I'm real bummed is that I had to stop feeding the squirrels, my like neighbors, <laughs> the squirrels that have like essentially taken over our deck, our like patio, because it's theirs now. So I had to stop giving them walnuts all the time. Yeah. And so they're not going to come around anymore. And I'm really fucking sad about it. I watched them grow up. And uh, so by goodbye to the squirrels. Oh, I know. Just because they don't want them around? Because Wait. they're now like living on our outdoor space. <laughs> they like live there. <laughs> and we can't go outside now. The cats can't go outside. I'm worried about mites and fleas and stuff. They're all over our furniture, patio furniture. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. throwing my plants over the balcony. Like it's just there. It's a little too much at this point. <laughs> you didn't. You really didn't think it all the way through when no. you started going, uh-huh. hey, free food over here. Yes. Oh, my God. Look how cute they are. And Vince was like, hey, I'm from Michigan. Don't do you shouldn't feed those. And I was like, no way. It's so cute. I love them. And he's like, OK, but. Okay, Snow White, you're fucked. (laughs) That's like the time that I put out a bird feeder because I'm like, look, I like birds. Yeah. This is my passion. I put out a bird feeder. Birds were coming into my backyard. And then like three days later, I looked outside and there was no joke, like 30 pigeons just standing around. And what they would do is one would jump up on the bird feeder and spin it and just flick the bird seed everywhere. And so they just found out it was just like free food in this backyard. It was (laughs) just went out and took it right back down. (laughs) Exactly. "Mm -mm." No, thanks, pigeons. Exactly. What what is happening? Did yeah. you see the video of the old guy in Florida who rescued his dog from a little alligator? I I saw a screen grab of it and I couldn't watch it, but he survived. He's the dog survived. Oh yeah. Oh thank God. Oh my God. The old guy goes in. He's got a he's got a cigar in his mouth, like clamped between his teeth. That thing never fucking comes out of his mouth. He pulls Holy the dog. Shit. The alligator's only like this big. It's it's, you know, either sure. either it's a baby alligator or crocodile. I'm not sure yeah. in that area wherever. But um or it's the kind that doesn't get any bigger. Sure. But he like, basically yeah. is holding it like this and his little dog, he just like opens its mouth, Prize throws its the ch- dog this way. <gasps> the dog takes off running and then he just like throws it and at no point this he's smoking a cigar oh, the entire time. He's like God. This he's the ultimate old Florida man. Love him. Yeah. Congratulations, dude. Yeah. And the dog had a punctured lung, but he's doing oh, fine now. Oh. Okay. I mean, he was like in the jaws yeah. of an alligator. Yeah. Seriously. Life slashed before his eyes. A little tiny. <laughs> Did you? His little pea wait, brain. Sorry. <laughs> Did you see the huge alligator on the on the other end of the alligator news spectrum? No. They took a picture of this alligator that was walking across a golf course in Florida. Okay, I think I did see this. And it's the size of a fucking minivan. Truly, 
truly <laughs> gigantic. Did like, you see the moose that someone took? It was a while ago, but there, it was a moose in, in Alaska walking down the center of a highway and, and someone pulled up to it and it is the size of a small building. Really? Like, did you know moose were this fucking size? Did you? I saw a moose. I thought you were going to say the moose video where the moose is just fucking running through snow top speed. Like, and the snow was like four feet deep. And this moose runs by and it's going 30 miles an hour. And the people are just like, whoa. And it's like, it's as if the snow is not there. Like, it doesn't impede that moose at all. I hope he used the the cross the bridge the bridge crossing he was running to knock the bridge down he's uh, he's anti <laughs> which you know it's gonna happen it's, those anti-bridgers they will not crazy speaking of which friend of the family phoebe bridgers nominated for a grammy yay congratulations hey. phoebe hey, awards she's so talented did you hear her cover um of iris yes was so incredible it was so it was good her, her and on, Maggie Rogers. Maggie. Her and Maggie Rogers covering. Steven, are you a super fan? Maggie Rogers' record is really great, too. Obviously, okay. I mean, Phoebe's record is like the best record this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pitchfork says so. That means it's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Mm. So we do a little a little business, a little news. Sure. A little exactly right corner news. Well, what's really exciting is that our newest show, Tenfold More Wicked, premiered on Monday. I mean, which we hope you already love it and subscribe to it and adore it. Yeah. If you need a new true crime podcast, this one has everything. That's right. I said, I'm doing, I said no gifts at the end of the month. Oh, so great. I started, I'm like really nervous and I'm a really nervous gift giver. So I've already started <laughs> collecting things to, to maybe give Bridger. <laughs> Two days before you go on the show, you're going to call him up and tell him what the gift is. I absolutely am. That's so me. I'm going to send him a photo and be like, like I, I'm just, this is for a friend. Which one of these would you rather have? <laughs> I'm so nervous. Um, all right. Yeah. You guys know all the, I saw what you did. Bananas. We have so many good podcasts on our network. Check it out. Pretty soon we're going to have so many podcasts. We're not going to be able to do this because there's yeah. going to be too many to talk about. But That's until right. that time, we got to stoke the fire. Yeah. Oh, this is fun. This is a quick a quick mention, and it's the 2020 is almost over sale. Right. So we're doing 20% off all merch in the store from Friday at midnight until Monday at midnight Pacific Standard Time. So just use the code goodbye2020 when you <laughs> check out <laughs> and, you know, get yourself something nice. Get yourself a little something, something in celebration. So, yeah. So that's uh, myfavoritemurder.com and the store goodbye2020 is the promo code. There's so much stuff on the tip of my brain to talk about <laughs> that I can't mm-hmm. remember today. So so why don't we get to the murders instead? The murder. Yeah, the story. murder. The story. It's I'm all alone this week. Yeah. Karen's going this week. I'm going to go next week because I have a big one for next week. Because guys, yeah, um, we've been podcasting all the way through 2020. <laughs> and I realize that you know this because you listen to the podcast. Yeah. And thank you for that. Um, but it has not been easy. No. This year has not been an easy one to just continually churn out content for. Right. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. And um and we've been, we're doing other things. You know, we're running this network. There's another thing we're doing that we can't talk about yet. That's really exciting. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're not allowed to do that. Sorry, Stephen. Like that. Please. Just, um, just, no, no, no. Just bleep the, the word. 
<laughs> yeah, that's how we Steven, make, that's how you make it exciting. Good idea. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot going on. But we, of course, the most important <laughs> thing is the podcast and we fucking love it. And we just want to make sure that this is um, that this is sustainable for the two of us so that we can keep doing it through what's going to be the best year in anyone's existence. 2021, hopefully. Fingers oh, crossed. my God. First of all. Just let's just talk each individually about the first celebratory action we're going uh-huh. to take once the vaccines have been distributed uh-huh. and proven to be effective. Suddenly, everything's open again. Normal mm. life has started. Georgia Hardstark, where are you going to go? Downtown Las Vegas. Got to go fucking play the Buffalo. 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 <laughs> I'm gonna go. Vince and I are gonna fucking just have it out in Vegas. It's gonna nice. be us. Yeah. Oh, you mean fighting? <laughs> no, big boxing match the time of our lives <laughs> you're gonna mma fight in vegas yes. okay we're gonna that's finally we've been getting along so well through the quarantine that we're just gonna have a huge <laughs> fight in the middle of downtown las vegas that'll be very cathartic like yeah. right by the fat burger that we went to that time yeah. when we did the show yeah what about you i just think i should start drinking again and go straight to a bar <laughs> a terrible bar like an old man bar that no one wants me there yeah and i just sidle right up right up to the bar elbow people out of the way yeah and i'm just like can, can see that bottle of creamed mint <laughs> bring ew. that over here <laughs> ew. oh and then karen is gone I just go back to drinking the most disgusting beverages I can. What if you just drink really low alcohol percentage <laughs> trash? And that's like... <laughs> Peach You schnapps? never get drunk, yeah. Peach schnapps yep. mixed with creme de menthe. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant? Like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient... Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. 
Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens. And don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out. You never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. All right, let's do this thing. Okay. I have a story to tell you, and Great. it's t- incredibly terrible, Oh, um, which I think is what you're going to like about it. Okay. This one we've never done before. It's um, obviously <laughs> the P word of like, I'm going to do the one you did last week. <laughs> this is, this is one I've actually it. done before. And so I'm really excited to tell you again about yeah. it. I just want to, this is a quick reminder of the one you just did. Uh, no, I've actually, um, I almost did this one before, but it was very long and involved yeah. and kind of intimidating. So, um, I knew, uh, from the quilt episode that I would have yeah. time. Yes. Um, I would have time for Jay to do the research. Jay Elias, <laughs> by the way, is, uh, he works for us. He works at exactly right, but then he also does my research and he's so great at it. So, so thank you, Jay, once Love again. It. Um, so, um, this week I'm covering the murder of Sherry Rasmussen. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Let's dive in. I love yeah. it. I hate this murder i love this story yeah right yeah okay that's usually how it goes yeah um so in 2012 a writer named mark bowden wrote an article for vanity fair called a case so cold it was blue and so um that's an amazing article if you want to read it um we also used uh research from the los angeles magazine article by a writer named steve um michelin um, it was from 2012 and called In Plain Sight. There was an article on the website Crime Library written by Trisha Romano. And of course, there's an exhaustive Wikipedia page about this case. Um, I should tell the story probably that we were supposed to record at six. And right around that time, I was finishing up, uh, you know, final notes on this. Mm-hmm. And then my computer screen, screen turned very dark blue. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't off. The screen just died. And for five full minutes, um, I thought that like the the computer screen had gone out. And then finally, um, I was able to turn it off and turn it back on the classic fix. Ugh. And when it came back on, the document was in its original form four hours previous after four hours of work. And it was very upsetting. And then yeah. slowly but surely... It renewed Update. itself. Oh, so um, the the most recent version came back. A lot of drama. So we start here. On the morning of Monday, February 24th, 1986, Sherry Rasmussen wakes up in her Van Nuys condo alongside her new husband, John Rutten. They're newlyweds. They'd just gotten married three months earlier. She's the director of nursing at Glendale Ad- Adventist Medical Center in Glendale, California. Um, and she's supposed to be 
going to work that day because she has to give a speech for um, human resources. They're doing a class in human resources and she's supposed to give like an inspirational speech, but she kind of isn't feeling up to it because she injured her back working out the day before. Mm-hmm. So she's considering using that as an excuse to just take the day off and call in sick. So around 7.20 in the morning when John leaves for work, um, to go to work at the engineering company that he works at, she's still laying in bed. So around 9.45, um, one of Sherry and John's neighbors notices that their garage is open. There's no car inside. Um, then around 10 a.m., John calls the house to check in with Sherry, uh, but there's no answer, and he notices the answering machine um, doesn't go on. So... For all the children that don't know what that means, <laughs> um, when back <laughs> long ago, your answering machine uh, lived outside of your phone. It was a big, huge, weird like tape recorder, it's and you literal have to turn it. Yeah. You, you could turn it on and off. So um, obviously, they turned theirs off, and she she was before she left for work. She was supposed to turn it on, um, so it hadn't been turned on. But that was something she'd forgotten to do before so Mm -hmm. he didn't really it didn't click with him and he didn't really think much about it um instead he just tries sherry at work but there um the person he talks to tells him that sherry hasn't arrived yet um she says that sherry most likely went straight to that hr class and didn't come into her office so john tries sherry at home again a couple more times throughout the day as does sherry's sister each time no one answers Around 12 noon, right, there are two gardeners who are working on the condo grounds and they find a purse. So they give it to one of the neighbors, um, a husband and wife. They look, the husband and wife look inside and they realize that the purse belongs to Sherry Rasmussen. Mm-hmm. Around 12.30 p.m., a maid who's cleaning another neighbor's condo hears two people arguing uh, coming from the direction of Sherry and John's unit, followed by a thump and what sounds like a hard fall. That maid doesn't hear anything else, assumes it was just a normal argument that people sometimes have, mm-hmm. and she just continues on with her day. So um, John is on his way home from work. He does some errands first. He stops at the dry cleaners. He stops at the UPS store. When he finally gets home, he sees their garage door is open, and Sherry's BMW, which was his engagement gift to her, is gone. Oh. Wow. So... Then he notices there's broken glass in the driveway. So like uh, recently, Sherry had dinged her car door. Mm-hmm. And so John thinks maybe she accidentally hit something while she was pulling out of the driveway. Right. And broke one of the um, car windows. Yeah. Um, he's you know how your brain yeah. just kind of tries to put a story together. Yeah. Not jump what, to the craziest conclusion. Yeah. Just yes. like, oh, this could be what happened. But then as he walks in a the, through the garage door and up the stairs, he sees that the door leading into their living room is open. And now all of these separate minor details mm-hmm. of the day suddenly add up and panic sets in. He rushes up the stairs only to find Sherry's lifeless body lying face up on the living room floor. She's still wearing her robe from that morning. Her face is swollen and she's covered in blood. Ugh. John then realizes that she has bullet wounds in her chest. He checks her pulse. He can't find one. And he immediately calls the police. The investigative team arrives and it's led by a detective, Lyle Mayer. So um, they determine that Sherry has been shot in the chest three times with a 38 caliber gun. Hmm. There's a bruise on her face that suggests she was hit with the gun before being shot. 
There's a quilted blanket with blast holes lying nearby that indicate the killer used it as a makeshift silencer. Mm -hmm. And they find a bite mark on Sherry's left inner forearm. They swab that for saliva and they make a dental mold for later analysis. So investigators see that there's clear signs a fight took place. There's a porcelain vase that looks like it was broken over Sherry's head. Mm. There's a stereo speaker that's been knocked to the floor. There's um, the shelving of a display cabinet is knocked off its brackets. And the TV's amplifier and receiver are both just hanging by their cords. Jesus. And then at the bottom of the stairs leading to the second floor... There's a VCR and a CD player that are neatly st stacked as if someone was planning on taking them. And the CD player has blood smears on top of it, which um, match the blood smears on the east wall and the front door. Um, and on the second floor, the back balcony sliding glass doors have been shattered. So this is the glass that John saw in the driveway. Mm. Um, but there's no signs of forced entry. Nothing appears to be actually stolen except... For John and Sherry's marriage license. What? So John's questioned, of course, because, you know, the husband um, mm -hmm. and he recounts his day. It's clear to investigators he's not a person of interest that, you know, his alibi can be proven by many people. Um, they question the neighbors and then they learn about the disturbance the maid heard. They learn about the open garage door and they learn about Sherry's purse being found by the gardeners. So after a few hours and um, basically with John's alibi in place, Detective Mayer tells John that he believes Sherry was the victim of a burglary gone wrong just around 10 a.m. that day. So a week later, Sherry's BMW is found abandoned on the street in Van Nuys. It was unlocked and the keys were in the ignition. Investigators are able to pull a couple fingerprints from the car and a spot of blood and also a single brown hair. But those clues yield no immediate results. Um, and then over the course of the next few weeks, police continue interviewing neighbors, family members, friends, co-workers, and a picture of Sherry's life begins to come into focus. So Sherry Rasmussen is originally from Tucson, Arizona, but she moves to Los Angeles in 1973 to study critical care nursing at Loma Linda University when she's just 16 years old. Wow. So she's really, really smart. Um, she excels in school um, and she's on a fast track to a promising nursing career. By her late 20s, Sherry's been promoted to the director of nursing at Glendale Adventist. Um, she's also an avid runner, an athlete. Um, she's really beautiful and she's really confident. And so in the summer of 1984, when she meets the handsome, talkative 25-year-old John Rutten, it doesn't take long for sparks to fly. So John's originally from San Diego. He moved to Los Angeles to study mechanical engineering at UCLA. He graduated in 1982 and he is head over heels in love with Sherry. Um, and they date for about a year and a half. And then in November of 1985, they get married. But it's, of course, as any marriage, all is not as perfect as it seems. Mm, because just for mine and Vince's. Except for Georgia and Vince's. <laughs> Even though she wouldn't take his last name. I don't know why. <laughs> anyway, just weeks before uh, John and Sherry's wedding, they get visited by an old friend of John's named Stephanie Lazarus. Um, so Stephanie has dark hair and an athletic frame, and she shows up unannounced one day carrying a pair mm. of water skis, asking if John will wax them for her. Uh-uh. 
Not right? waxing anyone's fucking water skis. Husband. So she immediately, Sherry immediately suspects John is cheating on her with this woman. John assures her he is not. He says that they were just old college friends and that while they used to sleep together every once in a while, Stephanie was never his girlfriend. Either way, Sherry sees through this kind of wax. My skis ploy as a way for her to get FaceTime with John. She basically tells John, don't do that. Like, just say no. Yeah. Um, but he says, it's just better if I do it and now and then just she'll go away. But of course, she doesn't. Mm-hmm. So when Stephanie shows up again unannounced to pick up her skis, which are just like basic manners of yeah. weird, this weird popping in on people. No. Um, that the an, what, it, Yeah, on an ex? On, no. On an ex. Or even like a a friend, just kind of like, hey, I'm here. Right. Very suspicious. So John basically gives the skis back and then Sherry just asks her to leave. She's just like, yeah, you're not hanging out. Mm -hmm. So Stephanie leaves. uh, But a few weeks later, she shows up again. But this time she's in uniform, complete with a gun on her hip. (gasps) Because it turns out Stephanie Lazarus is an LAPD police officer. Mm Mm-mm. She's dropped by the house at a time of day when Sherry's usually already left for work and John is still at the house. But this morning, John had left early and Sherry was still there. So uh, Sherry's immediately like, this does this is not good. Like, this is a very bad thing. And basically, she's just like, you need to get out of here to Stephanie. And of course, now her suspicion that her husband's having an affair with this woman grows into a real fear. And that fear is confirmed when Sherry gets a third unannounced visit from Stephanie Lazarus. This time, it's at Sherry's work. So (laughs) apparently, Stephanie Lazarus just walks into Glendale Adventist Medical Center, right past the front desk, and she just walks straight into Sherry's office. Mm. And if that's not weird enough... She's wearing like tight short shorts and a tube top. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Which is that's that's insane. No matter what the scenario, that is bizarre. Yeah. Bizarre. Uh, yeah. Unless you're going to like a, a roller rink. Right. Um, Not a hospital. Yeah. No. So she's. she basically goes there and tells Sherry things are not over between her and John. Um, Shit. And. And essentially, before she leaves, she makes this ominous declaration. She tells Sherry, if I can't have John, no one else can. So now Sherry doesn't know what to believe or what to do. She's super worried and confused. So she calls her father, Nels Rasmussen. He's still back in Tucson. Mm -hmm. um, And she confides in him about this insane situation. She not only tells her dad about Stephanie's disturbing visits but she also says that she thinks stephanie has been stalking her Mm. so nels is a very protective father um and he's also never really been a fan of john's he always thought john was too soft to properly take care of sherry and now that he hears this story he's convinced he was right because john clearly doesn't have the guts to stand up to this weird ex and even worse nels thinks john's cheating on his daughter so In the aftermath of Sherry's murder, when Detective Mayer interviews Nels and his wife, Loretta, Nels' first question is, have you looked into John's ex-girlfriend, the lady cop? 
and Detective Meyer immediately dismisses the idea, mm-hmm. telling Nels he watches too many detective shows. Oh, my. To a newly grieving father yeah. of a deceased. And also just as as an investigator, why wouldn't you keep everything open? You're yeah. trying to solve a murder yeah. case. So, yeah. Anyway, John Rutten meets Stephanie. So this is this is a little history between the two, John and Stephanie Lazarus. So they met sometime um, around 1978, 79. They're both undergrads um, at UCLA and they're both in the same dorm. Uh, Stephanie is originally from Simi Valley. So she's a local. Mm -hmm. She was there studying political science. She also played on UCLA's JV women's basketball team. And then after she graduates, she applies to the L.A. Police Academy. And by 1983, she'd become an LAPD um, officer. According to John, he and Stephanie were just basically just friends. They had like the same big friend group. Mm-hmm. Um, although he admits that she did do things like steal John's clothes while he was in the shower. Mm-hmm. And she would take pictures of him in his underwear while he slept. <laughs> That was when that was when they were friends. Um, uh, and then after a few years, sometime around 1981, they start sleeping together. Um, so they just kind of are hooking up off and on for the next three years, during which time John estimates they'd had sex somewhere between 20 or 30 times. And he maintains th- that they were never dating. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she was fine with that. Uh, well, yeah, she just she didn't see it that way. Um, she actually believed that they were in a relationship. So then when she finds out that John is seriously dating Sherry Rasmussen, and um, I think she basically found out that they had gotten engaged. Mm-hmm. It's a total shock to her. Mm-hmm. So she falls into a deep depression. Um, she's really broken hearted over this this piece of news that John's gotten engaged. She even writes a letter to John's mother in August of 1985 saying, mm-hmm. quote, I'm truly in love with John and the past year has torn me up. I wish it didn't end the way it did. And I don't think I'll ever understand his decision. Oh, no. Here's what I have to say about this, because okay. I've actually heard of people doing this, reaching out to people's family members, especially their mothers. When mm. someone breaks up with them, if someone <laughs> breaks up with you, it that don't go on a letter writing campaign to their mother <laughs> or any family member. Yeah. Uh, you just accept it, even if you don't like it yeah. just for your future self. Don't go begging like, what, what's the end game there? He's going to show back up on, at your door going, yeah. hey, I don't want to be with you, but my mom wants me to. Or my mom talked me into it. It's just that grieving when you get broken up with. It's hard to handle rejection. No yeah. one, no one likes rejection. But what you're basically doing is going, I don't accept your feelings right. and your feelings about me either never were there in the first place and you're letting me know yeah. or they've changed and you're letting me know either way the person's saying no thanks there's no yeah. other answer to that yeah there just isn't even no matter what your feelings are you just gotta like it's you just gotta you gotta play the dignity card and yeah. just like you know here's the thing there's 7.8 billion people in the world so you're gonna find somebody else that smells really good and likes the same netflix shows as you like you're gonna be okay eventually yeah Yeah, you are block off six months to be insane but don't be insane with his mother yeah they don't need to know about the the insanity and they won't 
I, I know so many people who do that thing where like, I was really close with this mom. So we've been talking and it's like, it's not oh, going to work. No. It's making you look crazier. Like it's that that plan doesn't ever work. So anyway, no, sorry to sure. yell at you about your breakup. <laughs> OK, so shortly after this and only weeks before John and Sherry's wedding, Stephanie begs John to come to her condo in Woodland Hills to talk. Mm-mm. And he does. And the two of them end up no. having sex. Yeah. And John later says uh, he did it to give Stephanie a sense of closure. That doesn't. That's not how. Uh, that's bullshit, buddy. Yeah. So he how, said what a sacrifice she, for him. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you're breaking up with a girl and then you think, oh, this is going to be my last great gift. Like right. you're. Like you're giving her, here's all your sweaters back or something. If, if your last great it's gift not the same. includes you having an orgasm, it's not a gift. Yeah, no, no. That's you know? a gift to you. That's right. That's your gift. That's right. That you can give yourself elsewhere. That's right. Um, John actually said, quoted saying, she was upset. I felt bad. I was a stupid and young man. But. When Stephanie starts showing up at John and Sherry's condo, uh-huh. uh, that's when it becomes clear to John that his sense of closure rationale was self-serving and short-sighted. Yeah. So when Detective Mayer talks to John again, um, John tells the detective that he doesn't have any problems with his ex-girlfriends. He says there's no reason to suspect Stephanie Lazarus of being involved. John simultaneously grieving over the loss of his wife. He's at odds with his disapproving father-in-law. And for good reason, John waited a day to tell the parents, Sherry's parents, that she'd been murdered. Why? So they're livid. I mean, they're they're already livid. And, of course, grieving themselves. I wonder um, what the thought process was behind that. Yeah. Did it just, like, he wasn't thinking straight or what? That's awful. Yeah, I don't know. But they're, you know, yeah. they're... Furious, of course. All of this um, makes Detective Mayer sympathetic towards John. Um, so he takes his word for it about Stephanie, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Cool. Uh, another officer points to the bite mark that's found on Sherry's arm uh, as a sign that a woman may have been involved in her murder, since that's an injury that's typically inflicted hmm. by women. Hmm. Mayer notes it's not entirely unheard of for a man to bite during an attack, and ultimately he sticks to his burglary theory. So this is one of those things, too, where he was like, it's either the husband or it's a it's a burglary gone wrong. Right. And since it's not the husband now, this is what it is. And I'm not looking anywhere else. And I'm certainly not looking at a fellow police officer. Of course. So Detective Mayor, uh, he shows Sherry's parents, the Rasmussen's sketches of what he calls two possible Latin male suspects. Mm -hmm. Nels pushes back on the theory of the burglary gone, gone wrong. He says that. He tells Detective Meyer that he himself had said that the destruction in the condo indicates the struggle may have lasted as long as an hour and a half because there's so much damage to the condo. And he says Sherry was fit, but she wasn't strong enough to fight off two grown men for upwards of an hour. Yeah. Plus the shots to the chest um, through a makeshift silencer seem more like a calculated assassination, like someone was planning to kill rather than a burglary gone wrong. Because that would just be like, oh, someone surprised them and shot them. Yeah. Wouldn't take the time to, to silence the gun. Totally. So 
The supposed Latin male suspects are never found, and soon the LAPD turns their focus to um, the ongoing crack em- epidemic of the 80s. So because that overshadowed everything, cases like Sherry Rasmussen's murder are neglected. Hmm. Nels and Loretta Rasmussen repeatedly try to follow up with the police over the next two years, pushing them to follow the Stephanie Lazarus lead. So eventually on November 19th, 1987, which is a year and a half after the murder, Mm -hmm. one of the investigators finally calls Stephanie Lazarus on the phone. They quickly rule her out from that conversation. And those details from the conversation are never shared. They're never written up into a report. Um, The only part of the case's official report that mentions Stephanie Lazarus is a line that reads, quote, John Rutten called verified Stephanie Lazarus. P.O., which means police officer, mm-hmm. was former girlfriend. So <laughs> Nels and Loretta keep pushing for justice. They post a $10,000 reward for information on Sherry's murder, and they participate in a segment on a show that was called Murder One um, that features Sherry's unsolved case. In 1993, after being told the police department does not have enough money in the budget to test the blood and hair samples, because, of course, DNA um, testing had begun in the early 90s, um, Nels offers to pay for the DNA testing himself. But before he gets a chance to, a detective named Phil Morritt signs out all the forensic samples at the L.A. County Coroner's office that may have been useful to the case. Um, it is possible Morritt signed out the samples from several cases to take to the lab for testing, which would have been standard procedure. But he himself, one later asked, doesn't remember signing out the samples. And now those samples are nowhere to be found. OK. And like this is the point where it's like. You're protecting a police officer mm-hmm. that when someone's ready to finally do it and you give them this blase excuse about it, not having enough money. And the person's like, well, I'll fucking pay for it. And then they disappear. That's yeah. Shaking. It's always bad when when um, material evidence disappears. That's totally. it's because it's in custody. It's in police right. hands. So where, how else would that happen? Right. I mean, they sometimes it's like, oh, they clean something out or there's a fire, there's water damage, there's some excuse. But yeah, nobody was making any excuses. It was just kind of like it's gone. Right. So in the years following Sherry's murder, Stephanie Lazarus continues working for the LAPD. She's promoted up from patrol. Now she's working uh, in the D.A.R.E. program. She is promoted from there to the homicide unit, from there to internal affairs. And eventually um, she's uh, she starts working for the art theft division. She is considered um, a tough and tenacious detective, yet friendly and she's well liked and so basically, everybody that works with her, you know, she's she gets along well with her with her coworkers. Um, so this is a, this here's a weird kind of strange twist. In 1989, Stephanie and John reconnect. Mm-mm. Stephanie invites John on a scuba trip to Hawaii. Before leaving for that trip, John calls Detective Meyer and he asks him if he's absolutely sure there's no evidence linking Stephanie to Sherry's murder. He is. Uh, he he just wants to make sure, right? Yeah. So Meyer assures him there isn't. Dude. And John goes to Hawaii with Stephanie. Oh, my God. So a few years later, John remarries and he starts a family. Stephanie also um, re- gets married and um, it's she marries a fellow police officer 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and they start a family. She continues to succeed in her career. Um, she's, it's noted that she's never received a citizen complaint or a disciplinary hearing. Um, and she's starting to, she's really making a name for herself in the LAPD. Mm-hmm. So then in 2001, now that like the, the crack ep- epidemic has subsided, kind of everything else is um, calming down. The LAPD creates their cold case homicide unit. So in 2004, a cold case criminalist named Jennifer Francis picks up Sherry's case and she discovers something very troubling. The saliva swab that was taken from Sherry's arm and marked down in the report isn't mm. available in the evidence archive and it isn't in the list of samples that Moritz signed out back in 1993. Huh. It's gone. So she calls up the coroner's office, the, Jennifer Francis, the mm. criminologist. She calls up the coroner's office and um, they say they don't have a sample on file either, but they agree to search their freezers just in case it's fallen through the cracks. And lo and behold, Mm. they're in the back of one of the freezers at the coroner's office in a manila envelope, which is not properly labeled. There's no case number on it, but it does have the name Rasmussen written on it in 18-year-old ink. Inside, there are two sealed saliva swabs. Holy shit. So this kind of like lost evidence actually gets found, which is a miracle. So Francis has these swabs tested and she gets the results back in January of 2005. There are no hits in the system for this Mm -hmm. DNA, but she does learn that the saliva belonged to a woman. Mm -hmm. So uh, she's unaware of the Rasmussen's suspicions about Stephanie Lazarus. There's nothing on any report that mentions her. And she she does know that the now retired detective mayor suspected to... uh, quote unquote Latin men. That's the mm-hmm. phrase he used was Latin men. So she asks her colleagues if this discover this new information upends that initial burglary theory, but these colleagues quickly point out that one of the burglars could have been a woman. So it's fine. Don't worry about it. Aye. Um they box the case back up and it remains unsolved no. for another four years. No, yep. they were so close. It goes right back in. And and apparently it's a whole separate story and it's all, you know, it's all about this kind of serious internal corruption, LAPD. Yeah. But but Jennifer Francis, she had a lot of dis- disciplinary and she had a really hard time after that because she kept trying to track down uh, and wanting to investigate this case oh. and find out what like what all of this meant. But there were and roadblocks and shit because of that. Lot, mm. Lots of roadblocks, lots of um, lots of issues with, within the department. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. 
Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Okay. So now we go to February of 2009. So with a dramatic decline in uh, the LA homicide rates, Two more detectives named Jim Nuttall and Pete Barba, they dive back into Sherry Rasmussen's cold case. And they notice that the saliva sample um, being from a woman is inconsistent with that original burglary theory. Uh, but this time they officially reopen the case. Mm-hmm. So they treat it as a murder stage to look like a burglary because the evidence that they have fits that theory. Yeah. Um, Because they were saying, you know, as they look at everything, they think if someone was trying, just trying to rob John and Sherry, they easily could have taken Sherry's jewelry box, which was out in plain sight. Plus the condo was a gated complex. So it would have been easy for the neighbors to spot two burglars, you know, walking around at 10 a.m. Yeah. um, But no one saw anyone. Um, And as Detective Meyer noted, there were no for- signs of forced entry, which indicates that whoever came into the condo just walked right in. Mm. But now these new cold case detectives discover something even more telling, that if the fight between Sherry and the intruder did actually start upstairs and work its way downstairs, as Mayor originally thought, it's likely that that VCR and CD player that were stacked up there at the bottom of the stairs mm-hmm. would have been knocked down in the process. Right. Um, plus the blood smear found on top of the CD player was printless. It was a thumb mark, but it was printless, which means that somebody was wearing the, the blood belonged to Sherry, mm-hmm. but clearly somebody was wearing gloves when they, when they put that there. Hmm. And that means that, that those things were stacked after Sherry was killed. Right. To make it look like someone was trying to rob the place. Right. So with all this in mind, Nuttall and Barba devise a new theory that Sherry was upstairs at home when an intruder walked in through the unlocked front entrance and surprised Sherry upstairs. So the intruder fires two shots at Sherry, but misses and instead shoots out the sliding glass door, which would then explain the glass that's down in the driveway that John saw when he first pulled up and thought somehow was connected to the car. Sherry makes a run for it downstairs. Uh, She tries to hit the home alarm system's panic button, but the intruder grabs her and they struggle. Sherry manages to get the intruder in a headlock. The intruder bites her arm and then with the other hand grabs a vase and smashes it over Sherry's head, stunning her. Um, And then now free, the intruder takes the gun and fires it at close range into Sherry's chest. Oh my God. But that's not enough. She grabs the quilt, holds it to Sherry's chest, and fires two more shots. Then before leaving, the intruder stacks up the VCR and CD players to make it look like a botched robbery, steals Sherry's BMW, and then later abandons it. 
So armed with this new theory, the investigators combed through the case files again to try to find female suspects. They pinned down four other potential suspects when they come across the line from Detective Meyer's report from November 19th, 1987, that says John Rutten called verified Stephanie Lazarus P.O. was former girlfriend. They search the LAPD department directory. They find Stephanie Lazarus was and still is an LAPD officer and that she's currently working in the art theft division. So not all on Bar- Barba eventually rule out the four, the, the other suspects, um, including a coworker who Sherry had had arguments with in the past. Mm-hmm. And because their remaining suspect is a police officer, they have to operate very carefully and very discreetly. So um, they mark the case classified and they only refer to Stephanie Lazarus as number five. So upon further investigation, the evidence begins to add up against Stephanie Lazarus. She was off duty on the day of the murder and the murder weapon matched her personal weapon, which was a 38 caliber Smith and Wesson. Fuck. Then they find out in March of 1986, a few weeks after the murder, Stephanie Lazarus reported that her personal 38 caliber Smith and Wesson had been stolen. Mm-mm. So uh, now now the, the officers are convinced there's a good chance that they may have their killer here. So they go on. Um, they go to their commanding officers uh, in May of that year, and they basically get their their bosses to authorize a special ops team to tail Stephanie Lazarus. So they follow her to Costco one day um, and she eats there. So after she leaves, the officers retrieve a cup and a straw that she used from the trash. They take it back to the lab and they test it. And two days later, the results come back. Stephanie Lazarus's DNA is a confirmed match with the saliva sample taken from Sherry Rasmussen's arm. Amazing. Okay, so now they have to devise a plan to question a fellow police officer without raising her suspicions. Um, so basically what they do is they get their, they get like the top boss or whatever, the, like the police chief, um, to get in on this and they order her down to the lockup, which is in the basement of department headquarters, um, telling her that they need her there to question a suspect about an art theft. So she thinks she's going down to join like an interrogation already in, you know, that's mm-hmm. already happening. And this is so that so that other to like maintain the pri- her privacy kind of so no one. This is so that they don't hip her to the fact oh. that she's the suspect. Okay. Got so because because in lockup all police have to check their guns. No one can bring oh. their guns into lockup. So she couldn't bring her weapon in, which is what they needed. They needed to get that weapon off of her right. in case when she when she realized she was being questioned for this cold case, she didn't pull her gun on the on the Fuck. officers. Wow. Yeah. So on the morning of June 5th, 2009, detectives Dan Jaramillo and Greg Stearns ask Stephanie to join them in the lockup. She is excited um, by the prospect of questioning a potential art thief. She follows them downstairs. She hands over her weapon per procedure. They all have a friendly chat. And Stephanie's only slightly confused when they ask her to take the seat that would normally be the suspect's chair. So they talk casually for like an hour until they finally land on the subject of John Rutten. So 
So Stephanie is trying to be helpful at first. She tells the detectives, yes, she did know him. They were friends in college um, that they dated, but they talk about it so much. She starts getting suspicious and she finally says, what's this all about? Mm -hmm. They tell her it's about his wife. um, And they ask Stephanie if she knew her. And she's like, she says, quote, not really. I mean, I knew that he got married years ago. God, I mean, it's been a long time. I may have met her. Jeez. And then she's like shrugging, you know, she's clearly annoyed, but she continues the conversation. She says, I wouldn't, um, I couldn't even tell you the last time I talked to him. It was kind of a weird relationship. We dated. I can't say he was my boyfriend. I don't know if he would have considered me a girlfriend. We just dated. So Jeremillo and Stearns continue pressing her about, um, any sort of like heated exchanges that they may have had any fights. Stephanie tells them she doesn't remember any, but soon her tone changes from friendly to sharp. And she outright calls them out on suspecting her of Sherry's murder. And she says, quote, if you guys are claiming that I'm a suspect, then I've got a problem with that. Okay. So if you're doing this as an interrogation and you're saying, Hey, I'm a suspect. Now I got a problem. You know, now you're accusing me of this. Is that what you're saying? So the detectives tell her that she's not under arrest, that she can walk out anytime she wants. And then they ask her if she'd be up for a DNA test. She says, maybe. And then says she has to speak to a lawyer first. So soon after that, she stands up abruptly. She acts super pissed. She's offended that she's been targeted and she walks out. But the second she gets out into the hallway, she's handcuffed (gasps) and Detective Jaramillo reads her her rights. And 23 years after Sherry Rasmussen was violently murdered in her home, Stephanie Lazarus is arrested. So when she's in custody, Lazarus is allowed to, quote, retire early from the LAPD. And then she's held for six months before her bail is set at a whopping $10 million. Wow. Okay, so Stephanie's defense lawyer He tries to have the entire case dismissed, saying that because police failed to identify Stephanie as a suspect in the initial investigation, that the whole thing should be thrown out. That's not how things work. Because they didn't think it was you, then you don't have to ever. Yeah. It doesn't count. Parts of the original case file are missing, as Mm. we know. Like interview recordings, Sherry's blood toxicology report, a polygraph test that John Rutten had failed. And because 23 years have passed, the defense argues that the remaining evidence has degraded and that thus denying Lazarus of her due process. The judge denies that motion. The trial starts in early 2012. So the prosecution builds this argument around the love triangle. John admits to having sex with Stephanie while he was engaged to Sherry. But the defense argues that Stephanie had actually been dating several other men during the time as well. And those men she did mention in her private journals um, and that the defense said they that Stephanie was not as distraught over John as the prosecution is making it seem. Uh-huh. But <laughs> and then they pull out those letters to his mom. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry. Oh. I'm making that up. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm sure they did at some yeah. point because it's yeah. just like, are you kidding me? Right. Anyway. The story that the defense team crafts is no match for the DNA evidence in the prosecution's hands. And after a few days of deliberation, the jury finds 52-year-old Stephanie Lazarus guilty of murder in the first degree. 
On March 8, 2012, Stephanie Lazarus is convicted of first-degree murder of Sherry Rasmussen, and on May 11th, she's sentenced to 27 years to life. Wow. So Nels and Loretta Rasmussen file a lawsuit against the LAPD alleging a cover-up benefiting Stephanie Lazarus, unfortunately is thrown out because of the statute of limitations. Right. So because no one investigates this murder in any meaningful way, then later on they can't get in trouble for not having investigated the murder, which doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah, because the timer timer went off on how long you had to fucking solve it. Right. Also, criminalist Jennifer Francis files a lawsuit against the LAPD, alleging that the detective that was supervising her purposefully steered her Mm -hmm. away from Stephanie Lazarus as a suspect. Um, In the years following her discovery, Francis claims to have encountered punishment and retaliation for pursuing that lead. Ultimately, though, that in that case, the jury sides with the city of Los Angeles and Mm -hmm. she does not win that case. Wow. So Stephanie Lazarus remains in prison at the California Institution for Women in Corona, California. She'll be eligible for parole in 2034. Nels and Loretta Rasmussen um, were relieved to see their suspicions were correct and that their daughter's killer was convicted. On April 20th, 2019, a writer named Matthew McGough released a nearly 600 page book detailing the case of sherry rasmussen's murder entitled the lazarus files a cold case investigation and when asked in an interview with the la times if he believes that stephanie lazarus actively destroyed the evidence against her or if she had help from other police inside the department mcgoff says that he believes it's quote an open question and he states quote When Stephanie was arrested, the LAPD promised it would do an investigation into what went wrong. That never happened. Is that an oversight or is that something else more intentional? It's certainly evocative of what happened in 1986. A couple of years later, they stated their reinvestigation found no evidence of any intentional cover-up, but no one I spoke with had been contacted by the LAPD. And that is troubling to me. Nels Rasmussen passed away on June 20th of this year he's remembered as a loving father who relentlessly pursued justice for his daughter sherry and so i was trying to look up a quote to talk about like police corruption yeah and obviously if we're going to talk about police corruption we're going to talk about things like this it all leads back to you know the police brutality and the and the kind of cases and the the kind of stuff that we've been seeing lately and mm-hmm. seeing for a long time the systemic racism um, inside the the culture right. the culture inside the police force and i found this pretty amazing quote a writer named Mickey Kendall wrote this article in 2015 for the Washington Post after Walter Scott was shot in the back in North Charleston South Carolina and the person who recorded that murder was too afraid to give that recording to the police because he was afraid then he would be killed too sure yeah and this article is really 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 well written it's it's about police murder um, the police murder of black people and the cover-ups within it and the way this system uh, is breaking down. But it is relevant to all of it. And this basically the name of the article is the police can't police themselves. And uh, usually the Washington Post is behind a paywall. And this article is not behind a paywall. Huh. So you can read it. Um, 
And it's the fact that it's in 2015 and the amount of um, police murders of, of black civilians, the, the amount that she is listing and the different details and how nothing is done and yeah. or that they got covered up. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. And it's very prescient to like what we're all now really looking at and really trying to be do something about these yeah. days. And so here's this quote um, from this article that is, it's about Walter Scott, but it kind of is about all of this in general. When the system is the problem, individuals cannot be expected to counteract the problem alone, much less accept that the only countermeasures available are in the hands of those with a stake in maintaining the status quo. If you can't trust the police to serve and protect, how can you trust them to maintain order within their own ranks? The argument that, quote, not all cops are bad only works if there's a way to be certain the bad cops are being removed from service as soon as they're discovered and that those who report their misbehavior have an assurance of safety. Hmm. Amazing. And that is the story of the murder of Sherry Rasmussen. Wow. Wow. Well, that was heavy. You did a great job. Tough. It's a tough topic. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. Should we do some fucking hoorays a little bit? Yeah. Okay, here's my first fucking hooray. This is from Meg underscore the random horse on Instagram. It says, fucking hooray in preparation for a second lockdown in Toronto slash as a half birthday gift for myself. My partner and I adopted a gorgeous gray blue kitten who we named Millhouse. I'm finally a cat mom and now have a legitimate reason to own so much cat paraphernalia. He's the most playful and cuddly boy and I'm so in love. Yay. Everyone get a kitten. Hooray. Congratulations, cat mom. <laughs> Let us know how the litter box goes. <laughs> All right. Here's mine. <laughs> it starts. Heads up. My punctuation sucks, as does my spelling. Please don't make fun because I fucking don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> hey, then why'd you bring it up? <laughs> It says, anyway, long time listener, first time writing. I'm a 60 plus years old timer recovering uh, with a few more years of recovery on me. And I also have chronic PTSD with years of counseling under my belt. So here goes. Yesterday after my doctor's appointment, I went to the food co-op and noticed an art store across the street. So I went in. I was looking at their art books. I must have spent 10 or so minutes with this one book. I decided I'd already spent too much money and the book was a bit pricey. So I put it down and continued looking around the store on my way out. All of a sudden, this 20-something young lady came over and gave me the book. I had no idea what was going on. She looked at me and said she saw me looking at the book, and it looked like I really wanted it, so she bought it for me. <gasps> Fucking hooray. I was about to argue with her, but then I remembered my counseling and my sponsor saying, just accept the compliment. So I looked her in the eyes and said, thank you so much. That is so nice. And then she just disappeared. She even left me the receipt. <laughs> so needless to say, I hope she is one of us. And here's this. P.S. Yes, I am now looking to pay it forward. Aww. Thanks for being here. A year ago, I was in a deep depression and was slightly suicidal. I turned you on and I don't remember what you two were talking about. Something mental health-ish, I assume. But when it was over, the ideation had lifted and I have been better since. Thank you again, Chris. Oh, my God. 
That's beautiful on so many levels. I know. It's really vulnerable. It's really fucking honest. It's all yeah. out there. And then this, and then just to basically say this beautiful thing happened to me and it's so hard to accept a beautiful things sometimes. And I did it. Yeah. Great job, Incredible. Chris. Incredible. Thank Thanks you for, for staying that. with us. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, let's end on that. I love that. Okay, good. Yeah, me too. Great. Oh, really good. Yeah, send us your fucking rays. You can just comment on Instagram or Twitter or in the fan cult to tell us your fucking hoorays and um yeah thanks for listening guys we hope hope you had a great thanksgiving wherever yeah. you were whether it was all by yourself or if you have somebody with you or a couple people um it's you know i hope you you got through it and had some nice uh some, some nice food and mm-hmm. uh some good times yeah and uh hopefully next year it will be a huge celebration of how about Thanksgiving in Vegas, guys? Yeah. <laughs> Let's fucking do it. <laughs> Let's fight in the street in Vegas for yeah. Thanksgiving next year. That's right. Stay strong, everybody. Wear a mask and stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Goodbye. Yeah. Elvis, do you want a cookie? <laughs> <laughs>